Hey everyone, welcome back to There Was an Idea. In this episode, I have nothing to prove to you. This one is a wild ride, you guys. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation that I had with my close friend Colleen. We had a blast, and I think you're going to have a good time too. If you enjoyed this discussion about Captain Marvel, you can find me at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Enjoy the episode. I am TK of New York, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. I'm a high school teacher by day, and I'm also a huge fan of pop culture. And this is There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that finds itself at the place where those two things meet. Join me and some special guests as we explore the MCU through concepts in the humanities. Spoiler alert, one of those concepts is intertextuality, and as such, each episode of this podcast will likely contain spoilers for multiple films in the MCU. Thinkers, inquirers, and lovers of entertainment, assemble. All right, so with me today, I have my close friend and self-described expert in gender and gay nonsense, Colleen Harwood. Hey, what's up? All right, so Colleen, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, so I've been thinking about this, and... um... I think this is the first uh, MCU movie that I've seen, mm-hmm. um, but I have seen, you know, like the, what is this guy's name? Oh, Tobey Maguire and mm. um, Kirsten Dunn's Spider-Man That's right. movies. Um, I don't think those count. No, they're Marvel. <laughs> right. They are Marvel. I wasn't sure if they counted or not. Um, but yeah, I did see those when they came out probably many times because it was um, in our limited DVD collection at home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then other than that, um, I've only seen Captain Marvel and the the pertinent minutes of Avengers Endgame. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, well, especially given the fact that you didn't have much experience or even interest in these movies right. beforehand, I want to thank you for actually being the very first person to agree to guest mm. on the podcast. Well, and um, what was I the first person you asked? I. Great question. I think I, I think maybe, but I did also wow, ask so some people who were a little bit more hesitant to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciated you being down, and um, I knew I sort of had to reward you by choosing this movie, Captain Marvel, to be the one um, that I asked you to watch because of of the the passion that mm-hmm. you and I share for Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm-hmm. I thought that the spirit of this movie was similar enough and and that you would find things that you would enjoy so was I right what are your big picture thoughts I did I did enjoy it um and I definitely also found a lot of similarities with Buffy uh, as you will soon find out uh, I can't <laughs> I've, wait I've got a lot of um, parallels to draw with Buffy I also think that just in general um, you know, I think that probably all kind of like feminist superhero media or even like conversations about it, like, I don't think you can get away with Buffy. I'll get away from Buffy. Completely. And I'm very much looking forward to our spinoff Buffy episode <laughs> that we're definitely going to get to at some point. Yeah. Um, so when I pitched this movie to you, I made sure that I included and it stars Brie Larson, who I have a gigantic crush on. Yep. And I know that shows my bias a little bit, but I will say that I, I do genuinely love this movie, and it ranks among uh, some of my favorites of the series. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but the soundtrack is fantastic. Um, the supporting characters are great. 
And I think for the most part, it's a very well-structured movie. This movie occupies a unique role in the MCU in that the events of this one chronologically take place before the events of 2008's Iron Man, which I discussed in a previous episode. That was the one that ushered viewers into this franchise. But in terms of their release, this is the one that viewers would have seen right before the culmination of the so-called Infinity Saga in the movie Avengers Endgame. Notably, this is also the first female hero-led film in the MCU. Um, and it, you know, it took them, we talked about this, it took them 11 years, but they, they did get there. And to huge success, this movie made over a billion dollars internationally. Um, all right, so let's get into it. Um, when we first meet the hero of this film, Carol, um, we don't actually meet Carol. We meet Veers. Um, Veers is a Kree soldier on the planet Hala. And we know that Veers is having some type of dream or vision, um, but we don't know what's going on and neither does she. So tell me, what was your initial impression of Veers? At the beginning of the movie, I had the sense that I, I didn't know who this character was yet. You know, she was a little bit of an enigma. Um, and I think structurally that goes really well with the story because neither does she. Mm-hmm. You know, she only knows at this point who she's being told she is. Um, and like you said, she's having these dreams and stuff. And, I, you know, kind of in her subconscious, I think, you know, her true self is there. I don't know if you want to get into this now, but like, I think that that, you know, really strongly parallels, like a lot, parallels a lot of... Um, like real life identity stories and struggles. Absolutely. Um, I think we see I think we see that tension in her when we first meet her as Veers too, because there is something about her that doesn't seem like it quite fits in. So like we know it's this highly structured world and we know that she is obviously serious about her training, but she also clearly has more of a more of a sense of humor than Jan Rog and mm-hmm. the other Cree warriors. Yeah, she's definitely a little bit of a misfit. Yes. Yeah. So we also know just from these these first twenty or so minutes, um, we know that Jan Rog is her her boss in a way. He is training her, and uh, as we find out later, is pulling a lot of gaslighting nonsense on her um, by telling her that she needs to control her emotions and not let them get the best of her. And um, he even tells her that she needs to let go of her past. And as she points out, she doesn't remember her past. Um, He is trying to, he's creating this conflict that's not necessarily Mm -hmm. there. I didn't perceive her to be particularly impulsive or emotional. Right. And I mean, obviously, a lot of that is just like gender nonsense. Right. Um, You know, that's like toxic masculinity meets gaslighting for sure. Um, And I also, you know, I kind of wonder how much her kind of like focus on her past or these dreams that she's having or the resurfacing of her past is because he keeps telling her to let go of it Mm. because she doesn't i feel like if nobody ever brought it up she might not think that much about it because she has no memory of it very true it's not like part of her it's like the streisand effect you know the streisand effect yeah you know that one where um so barbara streisand at one point like these pictures of her home started surfacing and it was like obviously like a really um lavish home and she okay. was so, so she tried to like squash these pictures being released and like share it online and stuff and in doing so just prompted more and more people to be sharing them that's hilarious so like her I mean, her attempt to, to to have people not see this made more people made see more it. people see it yeah. that's okay i did not know that was called that but yeah so as 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 you said um one of the things that works 
structurally in this movie is that as viewers, we go through the process of learning about Carol as she goes through the process of learning about Carol before we even know that's her name, before she knows that's her name. And we're disoriented as she's getting the flashes of her memories, just as she's disoriented. We are confused just as she is confused about why the supreme intelligence is appearing to her as Annette Benning. And um, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, one by of the way, it's like total mommy in that bedding, by the way. It's not, it's not just in that bedding. And uh, yeah, and especially when she comes back in, in the end, when she has the jacket and is like oh, taunting yeah, yeah, her. Oh yeah, like big time, like mommy energy. Absolutely, happening we'll, there. we'll get there. That's, see, that's, that's your expertise. <laughs> being just shining through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's actually, you know, one of the biggest gripes that sometimes superhero movie fans have is with traditional quote unquote origin stories because... On the one hand, these are really necessary in establishing who the protagonist is and their and their process of becoming a hero. But at the same time, they can feel a little bit like distracting from getting to the good stuff. So I, I do really like this movie's approach in that fractured storytelling. And um, mm. it's an interesting inversion of the kind of traditional Joseph Campbell's hero hero's journey that I spoke about with Kat in a previous episode, because... The first world that we see this character in is not actually what should be her ordinary world. Mm-hmm. It's the world that she's been, you know, brainwashed into. It's also interesting that, so I thought that the, like a lot of the identity stuff in this movie is very different from what you would normal, normally see in a superhero movie. Like usually the identity conflict is a secret identity mm-hmm. and a real world identity. And in this case, that that's not what happens. The identity conflict is that she doesn't know who she is. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. More told that like these like cultural traditions or like things or whatever are more important than like our own experiences or feeling. Yes. Which often leads to like repression or like whatever. And so like Carol's, you can like read Carol's amnesia and the taking away of her memories as being that. Yeah. And then regaining her memories. Um, I also, so I wrote here about representation where like you have to like see yourself reflected and that's she, like when she's getting like her when they, they're going through her memories and then she goes back and she like, finds herself in the records and stuff, oh. you know, like she's seeing she's finally like seeing her real self reflected. Yeah. And then like that allows Carol to come through. Um, once you see find yourself in that reflection, it gives you the foundation to like actually go ahead and grow. And I, I think on top of the fact that she, you know, her memory has been wiped and that part of herself has really been taken away from her. It seems that that actually is also part of what it means to exist as a Cree, because mm. even in that first scene with the Supreme Intelligence, um, the Supreme Intelligence as Annette Bening, um, who we will find out is Wendy Lawson slash Marvell, um, she, she says all Cree must put their people's needs before their mm-hmm. own, right? So that sublimation of the self to right. the greater, to the greater, the greater good, quote unquote, quote unquote. always like a, f- a red flag. Exactly. Praise. And then when they go into battle, too, um, Jan Rog says, you know, for the good of all Kree. Yeah. And um, even that uh, this idea that they could be sacrificing themselves in this mission. Mm-hmm. Um, he even says we must be willing to join the collective, capital mm-hmm. C collective in the yeah. in the subtitle. So yeah. interesting, right? Yeah. She also, the Supreme Intelligence, when talking about the loss of memory at the I think this is at the end, says, perhaps this is a mercy sparing you from a deeper pain, freeing you to do what all Cree must. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so like you were saying before, this idea of um, having an identity that it does not align with society's expectation mm. of who you are. Right. 
Right, like you have a different path than what all Cree must. Yes, 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 you know? right, exactly. The next time that, again, we're kind of disoriented as viewers and Carol is disoriented is when, um, during their mission, she is taken by Talos, who at this point we think is a quote-unquote bad guy. And we learn from the flashes of her memories that as a person... She um, has always kind of engaged in activities that perhaps uh, didn't conform to traditional, quote-unquote, expectations of femininity. She's racing the car. She obviously, she was in the Air Force. And that this created conflict for her. You know, it's, it's explicitly, it's somewhat explicitly gendered, too, with her dad saying, like, you know, you shouldn't be racing this fast. And she's pointing out that her brother is allowed to do it. Um, and we get these refrains of, you don't belong here. Right. And I think this is also where the, the Air Force flashbacks of, like, yes, them, you know, bros being misogynistic to her happen, too. So it is explicitly gendered. You know, there's, like, the cock, the annoying the cockpit, cockpit joke. Comment. Yes, yes, and yes. The, you know, the when she's in training and she's got all these dudes on the ground telling her she can't do it. Yes. So, yeah, I would say that that's all pretty explicitly gendered. Yeah, that part definitely definitely is so even even if you weren't sure with like her little carol and the dad like it, be, it becomes very clear when the man who does actually look a lot like tom cruise in top gun <laughs> is the one who makes that cockpit comment to her so yeah so colleen why don't you say a little bit more about, about yeah that? i think you know i'll talk about my thoughts on her identity journey which i think you know we've already touched on you know, some of the things like the Cree uh, gaslighting and brainwashing her and then Talos bringing up these memories for her. And um, like, I see this identity story um, in the lens of a queer identity story. Um, and that, you know, people might say I'm projecting when I'm saying that and they're not wrong. But <laughs> it really, I mean, it really does uh, work as a, a pretty explicit parallel. So, yeah. I mean, because, you know, you have, you know, the world and society telling us from the time we're born, basically, what is expected of us. Uh, and that can stem from um, whatever gender we're assigned at birth, um, just heteronormativity, it can mm -hmm. be your culture, it can be kind of your class, like there's th those ex expectations of what people should do with their lives. Sure. So, and I, I see the Cree and their brainwashing as, as a parallel to that. You know, like this is who you are, this is who you're supposed to be, this is what you do, this is what people do. Um, and I think you can see her kind of her her dreams and these memories that Talos is showing her as like her true self and her subconscious coming through mm -hmm. um where she's you know if you look at veers as the identity that society wants her to have and carol as her true self you know these are flashes of carol coming through um and veers yeah. is confused by that just yeah you know, like this is who i've been told i am i yeah. don't know i don't know who this carol is i don't know what's going on right you know it's not something that i've known since childhood basically yeah and that parallel um and you can see you know that type of amnesia being similar to just like being repressed mm -hmm. you know i think many of us have grown up you know having to push feelings like that down repressed by society or however we grew up you know absolutely so i also see she eventually i guess we'll get to it like chronologically in the movie but she eventually does rediscover herself as carol mm -hmm. and she does that through these memories the first spark is these memories that she's being shown by talos right she's like who is that 
Right. I don't know what's going on there. It's blah, a, blah, blah, yeah, blah. It's, it's, a, it's a world she can't relate to. Right. And, and then you see that again when they're kind of going through those records uh, when she's with Fury in a later scene. And yep. she sees actual pictures of herself. Mm-hmm. And clearly she was belonging to this world that she has completely forgotten about. And then there's the black box recording too. Yep, That's exactly. That's a really pivotal scene. Yep, she hears her own voice and she kind of can finally find who she is again. And I think, you know, she's... She has her kind of true identity. You can call that Carol. She has this identity that's been handed to her, which is Veers. And I think, and then eventually she becomes Captain Marvel, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'd say, you know, for her, like, she can't get to Captain Marvel without going through Carol first. Yeah. You know, you can't, like, grow as a person and, like, really come into your own identity without getting back to, like, who you truly are and not who you're being told or forced to be. Yeah. And I think one of the places where we see that manifested a little bit later on in the film is when she is wearing her Cree spacesuit and, you know, articulates that she can't wear the colors anymore and, and, you know, has Monica help her find, you know, the right colors Mm -hmm. and kind of a, you know, funny scene. There's references in there to like different costumes that the character, that the character wore in the comics and things like that. Mm -hmm. But ultimately what she lands on are the patriotic colors of the Air Force, yeah, right. Yeah. So it is almost sort of that way of like kind of like like intertwining, yeah. you know, her her past with her like you know her. I don't know, you could call it destiny or like you know who she is to become. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's keeping her roots. Um, so I did want to say something else about those flashbacks that we get in the in the scene where Talos is tapping into her mind. We find out who Annette Benning is now, um, Dr. Wendy Lawson, and, and the role, we don't fully know it yet, but we see that she had a role as a mentor to Carol. We see Goose the Cat. Um, and of course, Colleen, we see Maria Rambeau. Oh, yeah. And um, I, you know, I imagine we will get into this a little bit more later, but when you first saw those snapshots of Carol and Maria singing together, um, Carol with Maria's daughter Monica laying in the grass and the two of them being beckoned to come in to dinner. Did you think they were a couple? I did. Very, I, thought, I thought that they were going to be explicitly a couple in the movie. Yeah. Um, and I was shocked to find... I think I just actually asked you when I was in the middle of watching it. I was you shocked died. to find out <laughs> that they were not. Also, in that scene, you know, when you see them as like a little family, they're, yeah. they're, they're co-parenting. Yes. It, it's really... Really how it seems. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, in the scene where they're singing together, yes. they're not singing with each other. They're singing at each other. And what are they the lyrics like, to that song again? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, um, it is a great song called Kiss Me Deadly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I just have something to say about You know where else that song played a role in a pivotal scene? No. The L Word. Yeah, so I just something like a quick note about all of those scenes with maria and carol Mm -hmm. um that's gay (laughs) do you um do you want to say more no 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 it's just it's just okay it's gay there i have some more comments as we as we go on um oh i do too but just (laughs) for this moment i'm just gonna leave it there i think that's perfectly said Mm -hmm. um so then um really now at least for me we're getting into the fun of the movie specifically when veers crashes into a blockbuster Mm -hmm on earth or c53 as it's called and you know i i 
have some sense of your feelings. I'm curious to hear more. How much did you enjoy the 90s nostalgia of the movie or how much do you think it was a little bit too heavy handed? Um, you know, I think it like it was heavy handed, but I, I enjoyed it. Like I, it was it was heavy handed in a way that was like really fun and like I, you know, self-aware, mm-hmm. I think, you right. know, I don't think anybody thought this was subtle. Um, you know, like crashing into a blockbuster is like the most 90s thing you can do. There's right, a radio right, shack right, right yes. after that. Um, and then of course, like the soundtrack and everything. Yeah. I, I thought it was really fun. I agree. And uh, as you know, um, as cheesy as it may be, I, I'm all about the, the 90s nostalgia and, and you know that from personal yeah, experience at my, uh, my 30th birthday party last year. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I enjoy 90s nostalgia and I always, um, as you know, like strive to look like a 90s teenage boy. Yes. You and know. you succeed. I, I know I, yeah, thank listeners, you. um, <laughs> perhaps you'll see Colleen on social media <laughs> in, an, in a photo, but, um, I can, it, it's true. It's true. It's very yeah. true. I do a good job at it. Um, I definitely watched an episode of Goosebumps not that long ago, and I literally thought it was you. The character was maybe like 14 to 16, this little boy. Oh, I can pass younger than that. Okay, so as now that Carol, or viewers as we still know her, is on C-53, she's separated from Yonrog and the Star Force for the first time. And we do start, we do start to see some of her individuality and nonconformity come out even more. Um, so she makes her first decision to kind of go against, you know, the mission or what they want her to do by, um, kind of refusing to, you know, he just wants her to stay put and wait for them. And she doesn't do that. Um, so obviously she meets Nick Fury. Um, Nick Fury recognizes, you know, her as a rogue soldier. He senses that she has a personal stake beyond just stopping the scrolls. Um, but she's not yet able to articulate what she wants, and she still very much is about identifying herself with the quote-unquote noble warrior heroes. So we are seeing those parts of her of her growth, her you know, her ties to her older identity. Um, so they go to Project Pegasus. Jan Rog, um, you know, she calls Jan Rog again at Project Pegasus, and he continues with his gaslighting language. Um, even now, he's pulling some classic, classic nonsense. Because she tells him, I can see evidence of having a life here on C-53. And I can remember being there. But he has to tell her, oh, that's just the scrolls. You're, no, you're, you're letting your emotions get the best of you again. She has evidence. Yeah, and that's actually a really common thing with the Kree. This comes back a few times in the movie that they very much just teach their people not to trust themselves. Yes. Uh, there's even there's a line somewhere that's um, along the lines of like, know your enemy. It could be yourself. Yes, that's right. That's in that scene. It is in that scene. Yeah. So that's they really want people to not have any trust for themselves and only have trust in the the group or the you know military. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure we'll get back to that, too. Yeah. Kind of the, the next big choice that Carol makes that gives us an indication of her kind of maybe staying truer to her instinct or maybe that real like carol coming out a little bit is that she even after she finds out that fury kind of gave up their position to shield she does um go back and save him Mm -hmm. and make sure that um you know that he's okay and she didn't have to do that she has that moment of hesitation on the stairwell but she decides to do that so i don't know what you made of that yeah i I think that that's you know kind of on a, a similar 
thing to her trying to find herself because that yeah. also happens right after she finds those files. Right. And I think there's probably a part of her that's like, I need to figure this out. And I think that he can help me yeah. do that. So, I mean, whether it's just out of the goodness of her heart or because she thinks that she needs Fury for, for what she needs to do, you know, I think that speaks to... Definitely. That. Yeah, no, I think it does. Either or mm -hmm. both ways. Right. Um, it kind of shows where her priorities are right now. Right. And that she's kind of separate. She's starting to separate from the Kree a little bit. Definitely, definitely. Um, and then, of course, their next move, um, when they get in the plane and fly away, and her flying instincts come back to her, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Uh, then they go to meet Maria Rambeau in person. Oh, yeah. And in her Rosie the Riveter outfit. That's right. And she's listening to Gotta Be, You Gotta Be, that song. Yeah. It's fantastic. Great scene. She's just got a plane in her garage. Um, and, she's wearing and, these great construction boots, too. Oh, she looks amazing. Yeah. And if we're, I mean, we can't, we cannot neg neglect to mention that Carol, in the past few scenes, has now been wearing an amazing, amazing oh, outfit. Oh, yeah. How did we forget that? I don't know. There is actually a point. So talking about society trying to suppress your identity, there's mm -hmm. a time where Fury tells her to f take her flannel off. I, and yep. I just want to say that if someone ever told me to take my flannel <laughs> off, I would clock them. <laughs> Even if they were going to help you find your way back to Maria Rambo? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe. But that's like, you don't say that to people. That's true. I do love that. You How know, dare you? Carol's instinct to... Uh, I love, I mean, I love the scene when she steals the motorcycle, obviously, oh, yeah, that's great. the guy who was, you know, With um, uh, garbage, right? Yes, yeah. she's on the motorcycle. I'm happy when it rains. She's got the Night Inch Nails shirt yeah. on. Yep. Fantastic. Great look. And then she's in that shirt for a while. Yeah. In the movie. Yeah, and it smells pretty bad. Oh, that's probably yeah. true. I wonder how many of those they had on set for Brie Larson. Oh, I wonder. I also really like the shot of the empty mannequin uh, outside the store. It's very funny. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. And then the music like hits right then. So right. that's great. That, that may be one, like maybe my favorite music cue. I'm sure we'll talk about it. I do. I just others. like really love that song. It's a great song. Oh, it's perfectly chosen. Yeah. Um, all right. So back to Maria. So Carol rolls up, Nine Inch Nails t-shirt. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. um, and again, she now is going to be put in a position where she's learning about herself through other people, yeah. specifically through Maria and Monica. And, um, you know, we, the narrative sets it up in such a way that we trust Maria and Monica completely. Mm -hmm. um, while we haven't necessarily trusted any of the other characters around Carol yet in the movie, we, we trust them. But it's interesting, their first interaction Carol says, you know, of course, Maria is shocked to see her. And Carol says, I'm not really who you think I am. And the kitchen scene is definitely one of my favorites. Because in that scene, the two of them get to really just have a heart to heart. Mm -hmm. And Maria reveals to Carol a lot of her character traits. Right. And I'm going to I'm just going to keep relating things back to my theory of oh, yes, this please. being a queer identity story. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can read this as, um, you know, when you're in that state of not knowing who you are, being told who you are, mm -hmm. um, seeing representation of different experiences and different identities can really help you come in to your own. Absolutely. You know, and that's that's kind of what's happening here is that she's seeing herself through other people and she's kind of she can see the reflection of her true self which is very similar you know if you see representation of um you know people in movies and tv that you never knew existed before absolutely you know that can help you kind of discover yourself completely agree yeah so you you get these pieces of who carol was slash 
is um, on the inside through Maria's eyes. And then with Monica, I guess because she is a, a child, she has less of, let's say, a delicate touch about, um, you know, if you, you're coming into contact with this person who has this amnesia, uh, you don't necessarily want to throw all this shit on them at once. But And Maria is obviously very kind and thoughtful when it comes to that. But we have Monica who... Bless her heart. Um, she is just like, here's all these pictures. Look at them. And um, here we are on Halloween and here we are on Christmas. And like at this point, Carol internally has to be like, oh, OK, so like I was your other parent and we were married. Right. But right, obviously she doesn't actually say that. Um, and Monica even tells her, oh, you didn't get along with your parents. We became your real family. Yeah, I actually have the exact quote written down here. Uh, you didn't get along with your parents, so mom said we became your real family because mm-hmm. they were married. I mean, yeah, it's very, very clear. I mean, and <laughs> frankly, you know, I don't think the narrative um, forecloses the relationship because of the fact that it would make sense, actually, that Maria wouldn't automatically be like, oh, yeah, by the way, like we were in a relationship with each other. That's true, especially if you consider the context. That this is like 1995. Yeah, she would have disappeared in 89. Right. So and this is six years later, right? Correct. So 95. And the little girl at that point would have been really little and probably, mm-hmm. you know, her. to be fair, her mom may not have told her that she was in a relationship. Right. Hence the anti-Carol language. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean... Maria referring to her as her best friend is interesting. I guess it could kind of go either way. Um, Mm. But I do see, especially in like a a cultural context of that time, why she wouldn't want to be like, Mm -hmm. oh, you have an amnesia, you don't remember anything. You're super gay. Yes. Um, We were totally together. We were basically married. It wasn't allowed, but we basically were married in the Air Force. Don't Mm -hmm. ask, don't tell. Um, So that's it. That's who you are. Exactly. And so again, I... I feel like in my personal reading, I don't think it's foreclosed as a, as a possibility. Unfortunately, with these movies, there there's a some bureaucratic nonsense when it comes to... Yeah, especially that they're owned by Disney. Yeah. Who won't even make Elsa explicitly gay, like, give me a break. It's very frustrating. She, you hold with Honey Marin. Like, <laughs> Okay. So, and again, not to, not to harp too much on the romance, but... I think it's really important. Her, the look that Maria gives Carol. Oh, yeah, I have that written down here, too. Okay. I have the word gaze, um, obviously with a Y in the middle, just written down in all caps. <laughs> yes, I, like, Carol's looking at the pictures and kind of smiling, but obviously, like, she, it's a lot for her to take in. And she, Maria just looks over to her. Like, it's so romantic. I'm yeah, sorry. Right. She's just, like, like, about to jump her bones. It's, it's... Yeah. So um, Talos shows up at the beautiful Louisiana home where they've made their family. Yep. And yep. Um, Talos could definitely be a, you know, a fun uncle. I think yeah, you know, he's for great sure. once, he, once we find out mm-hmm. that he's, um, you know, a good guy. Um, okay. And then I wanted to talk about the scene after they listen to the black box recording. Because mm-hmm. as you said so astutely before... Um, she's getting these reflections back to her of who she is, and it is very overwhelming. So in that scene, and then we see as viewers what I'm assuming is a memory that Carol has now because of that. We see the 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 big scene of what really happened with Marvel and Jan Rog, um, and when Carol destroyed the energy core. So um, the scene right after, I think this is the most beautiful scene of the movie. Um, she's obviously overwhelmed and she storms out and we get this shot of Brie Larson walking out of that barn mm-hmm. area and it's dusk and they mm-hmm. filmed it in Louisiana and you can hear all the bugs. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's just really, really lovely. Like that time of day. It's like Marie Lanoui. It's what? It's like Marie Lanoui on the middle cyclone. Oh my God. <laughs> it took me a minute, that obscure Nico Case <laughs> reference. Um, but yes, it is. Like, I think it's so powerful. It feels so realistic. <laughs> oh my God, this is getting crazy. I'm going to leave that in. Um, but you know, so this, so this is her, her big moment that she articulates, you know, he lied to me. Everything mm -hmm. I knew was a lie. Um, so there's that personal level that she's starting to see who she really was. And she's still like, like many people who've grown up with a certain narrative pushed on them. She is still pushing back at Talos and mm -hmm. saying like, you know, your people are terrorists and all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard to get past brainwashing. It doesn't happen absolutely. in two minutes. Exactly. Um, but what's really interesting, so he talks to her, right? He's trying to talk some sense into her and he tells her the whole story about how the scrolls are refugees, the Cree, you know, expand where are the creator these expansionists they scroll they destroyed the scroll planet all of this and so obviously it's not easy for her to accept she's processing it um and he's calling her to action he's saying like you and i lost everything right we're similar mm -hmm. here you're not one of them and but like you said right it's not easy for her to, to accept so she tells him you don't know me you have no idea who i am even i don't know who i am mm -hmm. and then who is it that helps her see who comes over and reminds her who her who she is. It's her girlfriend. I mean, hello, right? Um, so Maria just like she just like can look at her and just say, like, you are Carol Danvers, you're the woman on the black box risking her life to do the right thing. My my best mm -hmm. friend who supported me. <clears throat> and then what you know, and more ellipsis. Um, but you know, and she calls her smart and funny, huge pain in the ass, and you were the most powerful person I knew. And they have that hug moment mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. Yeah. All right. We talked a little bit about um, her shedding her Creed colors mm -hmm. and her costume is now combining both elements of her kind of space hero identity and the Air Force identity. Mm -hmm. We find out that the energy core is the Tesseract, which probably doesn't mean much to you, but is a, it's actually a big part of the oh. franchise. It's one of the six Infinity Stones. Oh, my God. No way. <laughs> Are those the things that Thanos steals in yeah. the endgame? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well in, in Infinity War. Well, whatever. Then, yeah. I saw like the, you got you know, the, the twenty five minutes, minutes that endgame that yeah. Carol is in. Um, yeah. So on the topic of this aspect of her identity being tied to the Air Force, I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about is the role of military in war mm. in this movie. Yeah. So Colleen, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, I have a lot. <laughs> um you know, I think it's it's really like strange. Like I, I'm still confused by this because it seems that simultaneously this movie is um, kind of giving us this narrative of the, you know, who you think is the bad guy is not necessarily the bad guy, and who you mm -hmm. think is the good guy is not necessarily the good guy. Which like obviously really easily ties into the the military. I'll say you know we're American, so I'll talk about the U.S. military. Sure. I don't really know about the rest of the world, um, but at the same time, and in that way, kind of like you know is, is skeptical or critical of the military sure. but then at the same time it's very like praising of the military and the air yeah. force obviously because that's what carol's in and you know kind of like out of the actual text of the movie there was a lot of like cross promotion done with this movie in the air force you know like videos of brie larson on air force bases there's even i found a page on like the air force website like that's like 
directly linking this movie. They even have the higher, further, faster tagline on this page and it's a recruitment page it's like directly blew my mind when you sent me that yeah so it's directly like meet all these female heroes here's their origin story yep hire for their faster learn about joining the air force yep um and the quiz that you sent me to oh yeah the quiz on uh on female air force members yeah um and it is so it is really interesting so there's like such a dichotomy there yeah Uh, I'll, i'll get into both of them but so on the side of kind of boosting the air force um, I don't know if you've gotten into this in other episodes that the Department of Defense actually has like a really big hand in Hollywood. Yeah, we didn't talk about that explicitly in the Iron Man episode, but mm-hmm. I've read about it within the context of Iron Man. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not by any means limited to Marvel movies. I mean, this has been going right. on for, since like the 40s, and they've, mm-hmm. um, I found a Freedom of Information Act request response where it's just a list of wow. like a thousand movies that the Department of Defense has had a hand in and it seems that the agreement tends to be like if you need military equipment or realism Mm -hmm. or whatever in your movie we will give that to you but we can change your script right 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 and so that you know you kind of like think like when have i ever seen a movie that's directly critical of the military and i can't think of one probably or or if they are they're probably like the very low budget yeah ones that aren't you know because they're not getting they're not hollywood blockbusters in the movie theaters right and so the department of defense is purposefully you know making sure that they're portrayed in a positive light yeah in media um and i read one article that um directly linked the movie top gun which you already brought Mm. up which is funny Mm -hmm. to like a huge increase in air force enlistment um, so obviously these things that you're doing are working, yeah. which is kind of terrifying, quite frankly. Um, and in this movie, yeah. especially, they're really trying to target women. young women into joining the Air Force because they have a pilot shortage. Yes. And they're and they have very few women enlisting and have dealt with a lot of issues and yep. scandals regarding <laughs> women being harassed and abused assaulted and assaulted and like, worse. Yeah. And um, so. Yeah, and on, so this movie also does like touch on the misogyny that Carol faces in right. the military. Again, the cockpit joke and mm-hmm. all the things she goes through in training. They talk about how women weren't allowed to fly combat yeah. then. But, but at the, the same time. But, it, it, but at the same time, right, exactly. There's all this extra textual material that's, yeah. that's like directly promoting towards women. And I don't know if they're trying to imply that like that type of misogyny is a thing of the past because she's know. in the military in the 80s. Um, it's clearly not, just by the way. Uh, right. It's not. Exactly. <laughs> it's very much uh, a current big problem. Yeah. Um, but just that dichotomy is so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, on the other side of that, I mean, you see this like clear parallel between the Cree and like a powerful military like the U.S. military. Um, Interventionist, the, expansionist. Inter- yeah, imperialists, jingoists, nationalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they really like hit that hero narrative hard as the U.S. military does, mm-hmm. um, to tr- which does a couple things. Uh, it gets people, like especially young, vulnerable people, to enlist, mm-hmm. think they're going to be heroes. Um, it kind of makes people in the military more expendable, because yeah. if, you, if you die in military service, you're a hero. Quote, unquote, for the good of all Kree. For the good of all Kree. Right, join um, the collective. Right, and like mm. you know, it's something to be proud of. It's something for your family to be proud of, um, yeah. because you're a hero. And obviously, like people who serve in the military like props to props to them like of i have course. you know i'm not going to say anything negative no not about anyone not about who, those any people. individual who has or does right. serve in the military like obviously that is 
a super hard thing to you and but it's be- to do. But it's especially because it is such a sacrifice and it's such a sometimes horrific thing that we don't want that to be seen right. as something that that's is not something expendable. that should be glamorized exactly, exactly in any way. Like every you know you know everybody should know what they're getting into, of course, um, and not everyone does. Yeah, um, and so and I I think I see a lot of parallels with the Kree and their war with the scrolls mm-hmm. scrolls um and the the war in iraq yeah you know it's, i think that it's, was intentional um when they go to torfa at the beginning of the movie yes. it's under false pretenses you yes. know they're looking for weapons of mass destruction that aren't there yes. that aren't there yeah. um and then they just you know they just go around to these planets and kill people uh yeah. for no reason or be, you know because they want oil or whatever or, uh, right i i don't know what their reason for I, I would have to look up, you know, there is actually a long comics history about the Kree and the scrolls and this right. and that, so I don't know exactly. Yeah, but in the context of this movie, um, yes. especially going to Torfa, it was supposedly to find this person who wasn't there. Right, you so know, acting on right. right, acting on bad intelligence yes. to invade a planet mm-hmm. and kill people. Um, yeah, exactly. And then there's, you know, the scrolls as refugees, basically. Yeah. Um, because their planet has been destroyed by the Kree U.S. military, and they have nowhere to go, because uh, no one's take them in, and wherever they go, the Kree are coming after them too. Yeah. Um, I also so I found it. I had this thought while watching it, like how convenient for them as refugees that they can change their appearance to, <laughs> to wherever they are. Yeah. You know, I don't think it was meant as a comment on like assimilation, but I think it can mm. be. Yeah, well, what's interesting is you would actually, you would think that would play to the advantage, right? Like, oh, that we can assimilate, quote unquote, so right. easily, or we can change our appearance so easily. But in a way, it doesn't seem like it really helps them in the movie. Yeah, I guess that's true. But and I mean, of course, like, there's so many problems with assimilation of in course. general. Like, that's, yeah. you know, you <laughs> lose yourself yes. in doing so. Um, but I, I just found that really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you would think it would make things easier for them. Right. But maybe because and, they don't want that. Right, exactly. Right? I, they say, be I think it are. could. Like, if they really wanted to yeah. to just turn into the natives of some planet, like, they could. But who yeah. wants to do that? Again, it's, it's about, like, having your identity and retaining your identity. And I think they do even somewhat sort of reference it at the end of the movie when they're all sitting around the table. Because yeah. Taylor says something like, oh, I could just be your boss again. Right. But, like, it's, like, this kind of throwaway. Like, no, that's not really a real option. Like, we exactly. need our own home. Yeah. Yep, we need to be able to be ourselves. Yeah. You know. Oh, also on the parallel between this and the like the war in Iraq, mm. the Cree frequently throughout the movie refer to the scrolls as terrorists. Yes. That word is used several times yep. um, about them. So speaking of the Cree um, and following the chronology of the movie a little bit, they are now on so Carol, Fury, Maria, who was convinced by Monica to go um and talos and his family they're um they're in lawson's lab that's orbiting earth and of course yan rog comes back to f things up and um we get the excellent scene maybe my my other favorite music cue in which she's kind of tied up and being forced to um forced to meet with the supreme intelligence and come as you are starts to play oh yeah Mm-hmm. And it's like really cool and like warped at first, mm-hmm. and then when she, when you're in then that scene where she's in the weird gel 
supreme yep. intelligence world the song is playing mm-hmm. and um love i love it um so <laughs> <laughs> i love it the end that's oh my God, that's it that's end. all i gotta say all right um annette benning is back annette benning she's is- sassy as ever yep she's very mommy so she says your power comes from us more of the same mm. nonsense yeah um, and and she really comes into her own there like because um you know, the Supreme Intelligence says, without us, you're weak, you're flawed, you're helpless. We saved you. Without mm. you, you're only human. Um, and yeah. then Carol kind of finds her strength as someone who's human. Yes. Yeah. I, so I love that. I, Carol says, you're right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get that fantastic sequence in which, in true 90s fashion, Carol gets knocked down, but she gets up again. And she takes a whiskey drink. She takes a vodka drink. Right, right. Not yeah. yet, not yet. But you know, oh, she <laughs> she's going to. And then you know, it is. Yeah. It really is. It is so powerful that she sheds that tear and says, mm-hmm. "My name is Carol." Yeah, and that's yep. the that's the moment she's claiming her identity. She's yep. reclaiming her identity. She's rejecting the Cree totally, completely. She's forming this new identity, the still unnamed Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And she's also, you know, I spoke about this in a previous episode the idea about identity formation um coming from eric erickson the psychologist and just the idea of like in order to form an identity you have to discover and develop your potential choose your purpose in life and then find opportunities to exercise that Mm -hmm. and so she she realizes that she says i've been fighting with one hand tied behind my back but what happens when i'm finally set free so as a buffy fan Oh, well, just real quick about uh whoever that is identity formation yes yes uh theory um it, it is, this movie, like, follows that so well, because yeah. until, basically until this happens, she can't discover or develop her potential. She can't choose her own purpose, because she she has these things being forced upon her. Right. She has no choice in the matter mm-hmm. uh, while she's with the Kree. Yeah, and her so, potential is literally being, you know, suppressed right, like, right. by the, right, by the we're, initiative. We're gesturing to our but, necks. By the yeah, it's the initiative. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, um, another Buffy, Buffy, Buffy joke. Yeah. Um, yeah, so until, like, until she can let go of the Kree, she can't form her own identity because she's lacking, um, free will. Exactly. Yeah, to make those choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway, so you were going to ask me something about Buffy. Well, right, so there's that sequence yeah. of, of, you know, young Carol right. being in these positions, and I think it works very, very well in, in, in the story. Mm-hmm. We've seen these flashes before of the car race, of yep. the, you know, um, climbing the rope and, and this and that. And so with the montage of her standing up. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I have a few parallels to Buffy to draw here. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, they're uh, a lot of the same scene in Buffy. Should we spoiler alert just in case? Oh, I was going to be vague. Oh, okay. Good. Good. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, you know, I'll try to keep it not spoilery. <laughs> but if you uh, intend to finish Buffy and you haven't, um, what are you doing here? Yeah, seriously. Just go do that. Um, so <laughs> it should have been made clear in the first 60 seconds. Yeah, right. Um, so on just that point, there's, yeah. there's a scene in the, the very final episode of Buffy where, um, a lot of people who have their power being stifled, um, specifically in the case of Buffy by men and the patriarchy, right. um, they're having that power reinstated through, mm-hmm. and I guess I'll just get into this now sure. through, um, really like a very feminine, power source Mm -hmm. um and there's a really similar montage of a bunch of you know girls or whatever 
uh, <laughs> girl presenting people. Yes. Particularly young ones. Yeah, yeah particularly mm -hmm. young ones um, standing up in a very similar sequence. There's even actually a girl playing, like a little girl playing baseball. Yeah. Um, which, which makes me wonder if this was a really explicit <laughs> parallel to that scene. Um, but yeah, it's very similar where, um, you know, you have people rejecting a certain power. Actually, they don't really know it at that point. Um, and standing sure. up in, in their own power. Yeah. Um, and I'll just go here. Uh, because I read a lot of Carol's power as a like a feminine coded power. Yeah, say more about that. Yeah, so I'm gonna say uh, 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 disclaim all of this conversation with when I say like feminine and masculine. I'm talking about like archetypal, sure, yeah, feminine yeah. and masculine things because these words have no inherent meaning. But so the first, I think one of one of the bigger things that makes this kind of explicit. Carol, yes. you know, she has that fight with the Cree and she's full body glowing. The just a girl scene. The oh yeah, the no doubt scene. Oh, I guess that comes from you mean like but when she's in space and full glowing. No, I mean or No, I mean that. I'm talking I'm talking about yeah, the just yeah, a girl yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, okay, great, great. Um cuz and she's I mean, you look at her and you're like, you know, that's glowing, but they actually mm -hmm. Fury does literally say to her, "You know you're glowing, right?" <laughs> right. And um <laughs> you know, I I hear that and I think in a lot of media the word glowing is kind of like a very feminine coded word. You yeah. know, you hear, um, I mean, the most obvious one is that like pregnant women are always glowing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a first hint in any TV show or movie that someone is pregnant is that someone comments that she's glowing. Exactly, it's always somebody else commenting. Yeah, it's too. like, oh my yeah. God, you're glowing. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think about it too, you know, I think like this is often a word used about people in media when they're like happy or like falling in love or like just had sex or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, if you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, she's glowing. You've heard that before, but I don't know if I can place any instances of, oh, he's glowing. He's glowing, yeah. You're like, I don't know if you ever hear he's glowing or they're glowing. There's just no, um, there's no they in uh, popular media. So that one's <laughs> not, not enough. Not, 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 yet. That one's not there either. Not um, and um, especially, so there's that scene inside, I think right before Fury tells her she's glowing. <laughs> Where she is just like kind of standing there, full body glowing. Yes, yes, and yes. that also relates back to that same scene of Buffy. So you have in that scene, Willow channeling uh, feminine, like she's channeling magic of goddesses. Right, very feminine energy. Um, she even says in that scene, "Oh my goddess! Oh my goddess!" Um, <laughs> she's there with her girlfriend. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah, you know, it's much like Carol Danvers. Uh, right, exactly. And so this scene that's all about feminine power, you know, dismantling patriarchy, like undoing what men have done. And she starts full body glowing in yep. the scene, like hardcore. Her hair turns blonde. Yeah. She's just totally yeah. luminescent. And I think when I saw Carol glowing like that, like that was my first thought. Um, and it's that scene of Willow glowing is actually intercut with a Buffy talking about how, they're undoing what a bunch of men did thousands of years ago to women right. by stifling their power um, and deciding what they should be doing rather than the women deciding for themselves. And those same scenes of the girls standing up. Yeah, exactly. Their power. I have to think that that people behind this um, had a reference point in Buffy. I feel right. I think I said this already, but like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you can do a feminist superhero without without Buffy. Right, right, right. I think again, you know, if if I have a final note related to um, the role that gender 
plays in this movie. Perhaps it's not my final thought on that, but um, it's oh, definitely another one that I want to make. <laughs> um, the I have nothing to prove to you scene mm-hmm. with Jan Rog. Yes, yeah. Because, again, you know, it, it mirrors the beginning of the movie when he mm-hmm. keeps telling her, you, you need to be able to knock me down, beat me in a hand-to-hand fight mm-hmm. without using your powers. And, you know, he pulls that on her at the end, too. Like, okay, that's it. Like, turn, he, tells her, he tells her to turn off the light show mm-hmm. and to just, like, beat him hand-to-hand. And we know that she could do it. Right. But the fact that she tells him, you know, she blasts him anyway mm-hmm. and says, I have nothing to prove to you. I appreciate that scene so much just because it's like, I don't know what your experiences have been, but even just in small ways, like the number of times that you might tell somebody, oh, you know, I'm a big fan of like this band or this movie series or whatever it may be mm-hmm. and being challenged with like, okay, we'll prove it. Name all their albums, right. name all of the, like name all this obscure <laughs> reference. You, you sometimes have, you know, at least I'll speak for myself. I've felt pressure to be like, I, I, I can do that. Right. But you just want to sort of say, like, you just want to blast off their rocket. (laughs) (laughs) You just want to be like, no, I don't have to prove that to you. Yeah. I, so I, that's a really interesting take on that scene. Yeah. So, cause what I, like, what I noted in that is that when he says that, you know, fight me as yourself, turn off the light show, he then, he then takes this stance that's like very, like, macho, like, I'm a good tough guy, fight you. Yeah. Yeah stance that's like like a like a boxing, boxing thing yeah. almost um and it's just like so toxic masculinity that yeah. it's like just you know fight me with your fists like a real man you right. know no weapons yes 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 um and i just love that she refuses to engage in that she's like no um you know i'm not i don't need to give in to that that Toxic masculinity really is what it because it's what yeah. it is that like I can yeah, definitely. I can have my own power I can use whatever power I have however I want yeah and like there's no reason that I should limit myself in my dealings with you exactly limit myself by your by your standards, standards and because yeah. it's what you know it's what you know that it's where you, where you know you can excel and maybe I can't so, sure so like no I'm not. I'm not giving into that. I'm not yeah. playing my own handicap because it suits you. Yeah. 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 I think that's really important. Um, yeah. And on, and that same scene kind of, I think there's, there's, we've talked about it. There's so much of him telling her to keep her emotions in check. Oh my God. And I, I think that that's, that tends to be a common theme. I think, yeah. you know, having emotions and sensitivity be weakness. It's actually yes. the, you know, the underlying principle of toxic masculinity once again. Right. Um, but, you know, and it's, once again, uh, a common theme in Buffy, too. Yes. You know, I yeah. don't think Jude Law has ever seen Buffy. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, he would know this. Uh, there's that um, very pivotal scene in season two where Buffy is talking to Kendra. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, once again, try not to spoil anything here. Um, and Kendra has had this life where she's been deprived of so many things, of friends, of family, um, mm-hmm. of feeling emotions she's been taught that all of these things don't matter what matters is her like her purpose and her you know her kind of destiny that she needs to just be a fighter right um and she can't believe that buffy has all of these things yeah. and is able to fight vampires and buffy says no my emotions are my power um yeah. and it's what's one of the, the really powerful things about buffy is that she she has you know, she uses her emotions. She has a support system. She has friends and family who know she, who she is. And that's, that makes her better. Yeah. Like there's evidence, I think, that she's a particularly 
good and powerful slayer and that those are the reasons why 100 percent um so you know i think that's a common theme and just like kind of quote-unquote feminist heroes or feminist power where it's like no i don't need to to subscribe to your concepts of like the stoic warrior mm-hmm. who just fights with their fists like no mm-hmm. i'm going to use my emotions to my advantage right i'm going to use my sensitivity to my advantage and my flaming fists to my advantage because <laughs> as it may when be. something gives you power why would you not use it exactly why exactly why wouldn't you use that potential yeah half potential ah, potential <laughs> yeah. i realized um, and there's also i think this is at the beginning when Jula tells her to like control he says specifically i think control it talking yeah. about her powers and um that makes me think of elsa and frozen where yes, she's told please. repeatedly um it's actually the same it's a power that comes from her hands it happens to mm-hmm. be the opposite it's ice instead of fire right um but she's repeatedly told to suppress it and to control it to yeah. suppress her emotions um and that turns out being very bad for her yeah um and so in general you know and same thing with carol it's it's part of her kind of suppression by the Cree that you know we gave you these powers don't use them suppress yourself suppress your emotions um because that's where power is and it's just um simply not true you know in frozen uh <laughs> colleen is also an expert on frozen <laughs> and frozen 2 frozen frozen 2 more so mm-hmm. um it's really not until elsa learns to like deal with her emotions um and feel everything that she can actually control her power yeah exactly you know she really at the in frozen one you know she freezes all of arendelle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and spoilers she- <laughs> for frozen <laughs> yeah big spoilers for frozen here um she freezes all of arendelle and uh reveals that she doesn't know how to unfreeze it because yeah she has she has this power and these these qualities that she's never learned how to use exactly she hasn't been um, allowed to right and i mean that's that can be such a real life thing too like if you never learn how to feel your feelings there you're not going to be there's able to be and there's going to be negative there's going to be a lot of negative consequences there yeah for sure yeah. um and it's not until the end that she's like oh it's love like love is how i control these powers right 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 um and i maybe have gotten a little off topic here no i don't <laughs> remember what i was saying um uh, but think- the, the i mean basically other people telling you what to do with your abilities um is stupid yeah, yeah exactly and- exactly and and true power coming from it, it you know really true power coming from outside of the box. You don't have right. to prove who you are within right. the box if you have yeah. something else. Yep. And the whole concept that like sensitivity is weakness. Yes. It's obviously um, yeah. ridiculous. So in a way, I think what I'm hearing you say is that um, I'm just a girl by no doubt is basically <laughs> Carol's let it go. She literally says, I'm finally set free. And then, you know, that scene happens pretty shortly after. Right. So. Yeah. And it's gr- it's great. That scene with uh, the No Doubt song. Yeah. Again, like, it's heavy handed. It's but. really heavy handed. But it, like it comes back around to just being so good, um, especially with all like the toys and the pinball machines. Oh, and yeah. It's so fun. It's, it's the Nerf great. gun. Yeah. The Nerf yeah. gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm hmm. And, you know, you spoke also to part of Buffy's strength coming from family and friends. And I think, uh, you know, Carol also really makes a genuine friend-family connection mm-hmm. with these people now at the end. Obviously, you know, she is close with Fury and even mm-hmm. Talos and his family. And she, I, I just, 
I have to talk about the scene before she flies off to go follow her mission mm -hmm. to help the scrolls find a home and to help other people in general. This is what she's going to do now. She she puts on her old jacket mm. over the Captain Marvel outfit right before flying off. And I took that really as like her taking a piece of this new home that she's found with her. Mm. So less necessarily even tied to her old identity as Carol, but more just like she's connected to Carol. Uh, sorry, she's connected to Maria now and Monica. Mm. Um, and I guess we, we have to also talk about like the family hug. Oh, yeah. Well, because the way that Carol and Maria look into each other's eyes as Monica is hugging Carol. So, like, Monica can't see, right? She's got her head, like, you know, hugging Carol's body. Yeah. They look in each other's eyes like two people in love, two parents in love. Yeah. Hugging their kid. And and just, like, again, they, they play it so well, that, that connection. And she says to her, it's hard for me to say goodbye. Yeah. And, it's they hug and, and she closes her eyes as they hug. And it's just, it's very, the thing that makes me feel frustrated sometimes is that I wish they had made it more explicit just because what a beautiful parallel to Talos and his wife and kid. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, once again, we need representation of, course, of other of experiences in mainstream media so that people can understand themselves. Of course. Um, and, other people and other experiences and yeah. so uh, robbing us of something that is so obviously <laughs> yeah super gay yeah it's just it's yeah and of course you know people are there's a huge fan community that obviously reads into it but it means so much for it to be made explicit yeah absolutely it really does um and and as i said too again you know i think the the text makes clear these connections between Carol and Talos and he mm -hmm. even says you know we're similar because we both lost everything and again like how right it's a, it's a directly a parallel right. like yeah. you know this person who's your partner and the kid I, it's yeah I, they're just queer baiting at this point oh my god yeah. apparently Carol's nickname was Avenger all along <laughs> <laughs> wish if they were gonna do that and this movie has great references to some of the other movies including the way that Nick Fury loses his eye mm -hmm which plays into the other films mm -hmm. and some characterization for Nick Fury and Agent Coulson, um, the Tesseract, as I said before. But I really, I do wish that if they were going to make that connection as to, well, why were they called the Avengers in the first place? Um, I wish that it had come up maybe Something more. Than that. Yeah, <laughs> other than just like, oh, it was on the side of her plane. Right. Because I mean, you don't even see it until the end of the movie. Yeah. But anyway, whatever. That's nitpicking. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Uh, I do have one more note about the patriarchy. Oh, please. Um, <laughs> um, I just I have written down here that there's something at the end where she, like, flies into a spaceship and blows it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have just written down here, like, in all caps, that she <laughs> then she flies around and blows up the patriarchy mm. with only her body. Yeah. Um, which I, I think is uh, a really nice... Uh, touch you know yes that, yes she's not tied to an external weapon right right it's it's herself and her body yeah. and she is using that too and the male heroes really people. are just off the top of my head like thinking about thor mm -hmm. thor in the movie ragnarok has to learn that um his hammer is not his source 
of mm-hmm. power. Mm-hmm. And then that's what I was mentioning before when he has lightning coming out of him. Like there's this part at the end of that movie where he too is like just using his body. Mm-hmm. But then they kind of undo it in the next movie, Infinity War, because where does he go? He goes to another ha- uh, he goes to another planet to um, forge a new weapon. Yeah. So here's that, that idea mm-hmm. of this external weapon and Iron Man's suit and Captain right. America's shield and all these things. So yeah, I, th- I yeah. do think it's really interesting that it's just her. It's her, yeah, it's, it's her own yeah. body and self um, that she has taken ownership of and that um, she uses as her power source. Yeah. Interestingly too, there's a character called Scarlet Witch who also has, um, mm-hmm. she has uh, power hands. Power hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, would you rather? So would you rather be able to activate like a helmet um, mask thing that has a mohawk <laughs> that also lets you breathe underwater? Yeah, and in and the fly and, in and fly space. in outer space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So would you uh, ra- rather be able to like do that uh-huh. at will and like the mohawk looks great always? Doesn't uh-huh. matter. Um, or would you rather be able to shoot the photon blasts? <sighs> I wish you had prepared me for this question. Um, I do like that you specified the mohawk will always look good, because I don't think yeah. I would look good in a mohawk. Um, you know, dear listener, you cannot see, but I'm currently in the process of growing a mullet, which oh I feel God. like is the opposite of a mohawk somehow. But, like, even and if you have really well, by the way. a mullet in, in real life, it will still, like... I'm just... It, I'm it just, redistributes the hair in such a way that it's a mohawk. Oh, I'm just... Understand. But I like so like since a mohawk is the opposite of a mullet in my mm-hmm. mind like I don't think I would look good with one. Uh, <laughs> I just don't. I don't know. And then there's that like really handy thing of being able to boil water really fast. Yeah. So I could just have like tea right cool. away. Yeah. Um, which is probably what she'd be using that for because she's gay. Uh, <laughs> so hard because like like I don't want to fight people and like I'm trying to think of yeah. uses for the photon blast other than like fighting people and like o- I guess opening doors and boiling water. But you might kind of like ruin the door too. Like I know. Question. Yeah. I know. And the, but like you know flying in outer space and like just like breathing underwater like those seem like useful things. I'm looking really cool. Yeah, I just, once again, I don't think I'd look that good with a mohawk, but I'm going to go with that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the mohawk helmet. Yeah. Um, and take you on your word that, that it'll look good. I mean, you know, I think, think look, she looks fantastic, so. Yeah, I, um, I know you think that. <laughs> In general, here are my miscellaneous questions and comments. Mm-hmm. Um, comment number one, um, prove you're not a scroll, like uh, when... Uh, Carol and Fury are in the bar mm-hmm. and should they have that conversation? It's a, good one. it's a really good first date conversation, like if anyone's looking for oh. ideas. Uh, <laughs> like that's a good, because like it has to be something like deep and not recent. Like that's a good way to get to know somebody. That's fantastic. Um, I'm just helping. It's great. Yeah. Um, so I have that note. Fantastic. Um, I, I, maybe this is like answerable in the comics or something, but it sounds like the scrolls um, like simming ability is rooted in like DNA copying. Oh, I don't know. So why can they do the clothing? That's my question. Oh right. Well, and they do have that that fun scene in the movie when they ask like, "Can you be a filing cabinet?" Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either because he he doesn't answer if he can be a filing oh, cabinet. Yeah, he's kind of like shifty about he's it. He's kind of like it reminded me of like people asking really intrusive questions to trans people. Oh, in a way, yeah. Like, you know, whoa, oh, like, like, whoa, can you do, what does your right, body what do? You, this? Exactly, yeah. like, yeah. This, like, yeah. Um, and it's just like, I'm not answering any of this. Yeah, good for Talos. Yeah, yeah he's, seriously, he's you don't have to answer those questions. Right. There's that conversation, like, right before they go um, on the, like, Iraq war mission, 
um, where she's talking about getting simmed by a scroll, and she seems to be like really into it. <laughs> Um, and she says, like, to the other guy, like, well, maybe if, if you were more, because the other guy says he, he got that simmed he and once, that yeah. it was freaky. And she said, maybe if you were more attractive, it'd be less disturbing. And she just, like, seems to be really into the idea of there being another, another her, her that's gay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I agree. I, I agree. You agree that her, getting simmed would be super hot? Yeah, I would. Yeah. For yourself. For myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's typical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like I said, it's gay. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. Yep. That's all my notes. Great. I don't know about you. That's pretty much it. Um the only other thing I had with regard to like uh naming of heroes, right? Uh-huh. So she's never actually called Captain Marvel in the film, but mm-hmm. there is the scene obviously where uh you know, Carol and Nick Fury are talking about Marvel and he calls her Marvel and obviously, mm-hmm. okay. Um but yeah, so her her superhero name coming from this person who she did admire in life and whose mission she is um, trying to uphold, right? Mm-hmm. By helping others and ending the wars. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I guess this goes for like all superheroes, but choosing your own name is queer. Yeah, That's definitely. Cool. That's true. Very, very true. All right. So before we wrap up, do you have any last thoughts? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I haven't, I have any that I haven't, already said you know um you know overarching thoughts on this movie um you know great ties to buffy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. love a feminist superhero uh love a gay feminist superhero because she's obviously super gay love a queer identity story I love a queer identity story it's my favorite that's why i love frozen so much and especially right, right. frozen 2 mm-hmm. frozen 2 is um also queer identity story it's trans Spin-off uh, podcast coming soon. <laughs> my take on Frozen 2. That episode's going to be long. <laughs> so, um, thank you yeah, for thanks. joining me today. Thank and, you for um, asking me first before anyone else. That's right. kind of said, which I'm going <laughs> to choose to believe that that's what happened. And thank you for saying yes before anyone uh-huh. else because I asked you first. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hope to have you back at least for your analysis of uh, the 25 minutes of Endgame that you saw when yeah. we get to that episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, perhaps I can convince you to watch one of the Joss Whedon written Avengers oh, movies. Oh, and, yeah, and maybe. maybe bring in some Buffy um, comparisons there because yep. they're definitely there. Yeah, I would totally do that. And then obviously like, the Buffy spinoff and the, of course. And the Frozen spinoff. Obviously. Maybe like a little L word spinoff. I don't know. Would love it. All right. Well, thank right. you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me in, in my own home. Oh, my God. If you enjoyed this conversation about Captain Marvel, please follow me at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at bpenderillustrations. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening and join me next time for, I mean, I'm a 16-year-old kid from Queens, an analysis of Spider-Man Far From Home.